Okay, welcome everyone. This is How Success Thinks, lesson number three. Um, although this is uh, a whole course, there's four parts, but nonetheless, each, each class has its own uh, lesson and could be learned individually. Okay, so we'll start with, uh, what's it, it's page 73. Annette, do you want to start? Sure. Um, lesson three, from chaos to creativity, tap into your innovative spirit. Vaccination, the assembly line, the theory of relativity, the electric light bulb, the wheel, every major discovery that has propelled human progress through history was a result of creativity, a radical departure from how things were done or how things were thought about until then. What is creativity? Is creativity a special gift, an inborn trait, or an acquired habit? Is there a formula that can generate creativity? That's where we're going to tackle this, this class. This class is going to be about how to get, or the creativity, how to get to the goal of success. Basically, as you can see in lesson number one, we see in figure three and three and figure number, figure 3.1 and 3.2, looks like a software release almost. Uh, step number one, or class number one, was to correctly define success. What is success? When we learned that according to Jewish values, um, we, have to, we have to define success first. So we have to define what success is according to Jewish, Jewish values. Then step number two was to adopt a success mindset. We learned that we are, the, the punchline of last week was that we are created in God's image and the same way as God doesn't have a, a, a limit or boundary to himself, same, he gave us that power to have the same image of being imageless. But now we're going to learn, what we're going to tackle in this lesson is how to get there. So lesson number one was the destination. Lesson number two was um, what road we take. And lesson number three is more what vehicle we take to get to the destination. So before we go forward, there was a story with a rabbi. Um, a rabbi, a priest, an imam, it's of course a joke. They, <laughs> they meet, they get together, go into a bar, whatever. And um, so, they, so they, they, they were talking about the new development happening that the city is building the roads. And every time there's construction happening, so what happens? There's mice, and there's rats and mice, and they go around, and you know, so, so the mom was saying, ah, oh, we don't know what to do. We have, uh, uh, you know, we, we, we put traps all over, but this, this mice are like super smart. They just take the cheese and they run away and we can get rid of them. So then the, 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 the priest was, yeah, we also have the same problem. We have poison all over, but they're, you know, to just avoid the poison and they, they don't take it. We're, we don't know how to get rid of them. The rabbi says, oh yes, <laughs> we were also suffering of that problem. But then we made a board meeting and we voted all the mice to be board members. And since then we haven't seen them. <laughs> that means that sometimes, sometimes you have to be creative for solutions, you know? And that's where we're gonna tap into this class. Creativity, how we get there or how do we use it? or what the Torah has to say about creativity more or less. Basically, that's the, that's the punchline. What the Torah says about creativity. Is it innate? Is it a, a trait? Is it a skill? Another story that reminds me is of the, the, this person who was scared of, of the monsters coming from under his bed. So he went to the psychologist for months and spent thousands of dollars. Nothing helped. So the psychologist was like, look, I'm sorry. I'm just, uh, apparently, I don't have a solution and uh, cannot help you. So he went to the rabbi. Sorry, a few, few weeks later, he, the psychologist sees the, this patient and he's like, so how, how's the fear, how's that anxiety working? I was like, oh, I'm done. I'm no anxiety anymore. He was like, wow, what happened? Well, I went to the rabbi and the rabbi told me, I told him what, that you know, I have fears of the monsters under the bed. So the rabbi told me, okay, just cut the legs of the bed and that's it. So since then, <laughs> no more fear. This is another way of creativity, two jokes. That's, more than usual, let's get started. <laughs> We're so lucky. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, exercise. Before we start, I'm going to ask you, what are, top of your mind, the most, or five of the most creative things that happened in the last century. Let's narrow it down. 50 years. 
sounds like thinking technology technologies what what ideas well I mean creative I like are you thinking of technology like physical technology okay internet cell phones cell phones what else putting like music and movies in your computer or your pocket that's both on a shelf that's pretty wild what do you mean on a shelf like you'd have a box of dvds and like a box of records and now they're just in your computer yeah i think the sharing economy is pretty creative like uber uber lyft airbnb yeah digital banking having a credit card on your phone so the, the the convenience of not having to, to take money around, physical. Okay, great. These are all, Ooh. what else? Find my friends or find my phone where you can be like locating someone with their consent to be like, hey, or dropping a pin, like meet me at the park. And you're like, the park is huge. And you're right. like, I'll drop a pin. The only question is, did you ever you guys use that feature? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah? You do? My, people oh. share it with me, but I don't know how to share my pin. That's my issue. People will share, but I have no clue how to actually do it myself. Well, you, you need to allow... Contact. You need to allow... Uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know how to do it. I never get it to work. <laughs> like, you need to allow the pin. privacy settings. <laughs> that must be it. <laughs> yeah. That's a whole other... That's a whole other course of Felicia Woods. We're going to be talking about uh, privacy and, 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 and ethics. Ethics regarding privacy and security. Um, it's more relevant in the digital era, but we have all of this, all of this um, innovative or creative um, solutions or or items that came in the past, um, came the came the, the past fifty years, whatever it is. Now, what is the commonality behind all of them? What is the underlying connection. Convenience. They're all about convenience. Kind of enabling easier transactions. So bring a, a solution, basically. So in other words, you know, there's a problem, there's a solution, and the solution is what you guys mentioned. Great. We'll see what the Torah has to say. So text number 1A and 1B. Um, Shachar, want to read? No, but sure. Um, <clears throat> it's a really answer. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The term creation always means the making of something new, bringing it forth into existence from nothingness. God had the same approach. In other words, there is this concept we're going to see later on that there is a concept in Kabbalah that it's called Yesh Me'ain, or specifically Yesh Ein Yesh. Yesh means a substance, Ein means a nothing. And it says that God created the world in a way of yesh me'ayin. He bara. He uses the term bara as we see in text 1b. That basically God takes, brings, bring it forth into existence from nothingness. Every stage in not only our lives, but any stage in growth requires this, everything that grows requires these three stages. There is a stage of the substance the way it is, or what it is. Then there is a stage of getting out of that status quo, out of those boundaries. And then there is finally the new yesh. Then there is finally the new, what emerges from it. And we see it all around. We see it in, we see it in every solution that the, the creative world brought about. We had the status quo of the way that you know that we traveled, and that was um, with 
just bringing continuing the example of Sam, you know, the, with with the sharing um, sharing economy. There was the status quo of of what the how people transported themselves. You had a car, you bought a car, you used a car, you parked a car. Most of the times you didn't use it, just commute, etc. Then there was a ein. Ein is the idea of taking away, or sometimes this idea comes because we're challenged to. Sometimes we are forced into this area. We get out of the status quo. Sometimes we are, something presents itself within the way that we were operating. So then we are thrown into this ein space, into this nothing space. And that is what ultimately gives room or space for the next yesh to come, for the next existence to come. And that is also the way that God created the world. The, God cre- the way that God um, set the, 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 the system, or the way he systemized the world for the creation, and that's also the reason why it, it works that way in this world, is because the way God created the world was that there was first a yesh, then there was a nine, and then there was a yesh. And that, it's not only at one level, but every level of creation, starting the highest level, then got it to do a tzimtzum, what it's called. Tzimtzum is the ability of, 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 of concealing, of taking the light away. And after that tzimtzum is created, after that concealing is created, there is place for rebirth. There is place for something new. If there was no in-between, if there was no nothingness in-between, so it would just continue to be what it was before. It would be just continuation of the status quo of before. As we see with, um, as we see with, uh, with, uh, with a seed, a seed that rot, a seed in order to grow, doesn't mean that the seed continues, for a seed to become a tree, it doesn't mean that the seed becomes bigger and bigger and bigger until it becomes a tree. In order for a seed to totally transform into a tree, there needs to be the rotten space. There needs to be that rotten area that where the tree loses all of its definitions of a seed. And that gives room for the growth. That gives room for something new to come around. So we had the yesh at the beginning. And then we have the yesh at the beginning could be the status quo. Yesh at the beginning could be the way you were operating or the way your job was looking or you know, having you manage around all the time, that, that's one yesh, that's one type of yesh, that's one type of situation. And then there's always, or not always, but in order for, for growth to happen, there is something that goes lacking. There is either a challenging approaching, or there is the manager who goes away, and suddenly you cannot stay anymore the same way. You are forced to grow. You're forced to learn much more and to take on this new role and this new position they didn't have before. But that would never happen if there was no yin in the middle. So a lot of times when we see a challenges, the, the, the success mindset, this is more re- relating to last week, but applies in, in this week as well. The success mindset is when you see a challenge, is the only reason why the challenge is there is because it's the yesh, sorry, is the ayin in between the two yesh. It's never a destination for itself. It's never the ayin as like the end of the road. Kabbalah doesn't accept, there's no such a thing in Kabbalah as, as the end of the road ayin. The end of the road, there's no end on the road. But the, the, the point is that the challenge takes a person from wherever he is, and he takes him into this space of ayin for it to be ayesh. A lot of times the ayin is thrown at us, and you know, the, the, the challenge comes to us, we're not expecting it, but a lot of times, we, we, we become, we choose to become Ayn. We choose to start thinking out of the box. And that's usually what great innovators do. What great innovators do are have the ability to be able to choose to think out of the box, and that's how they create a great product or a great breakthrough in creativity. As example with, with, with Apple and, and Blackberry. You guys remember Blackberry? You guys remember Blackberry? So it was like the hardest thing to have was a Blackberry. It was, uh, I remember in Yeshiva, like the guys who had a Blackberry and were able to smuggle it was like, you know, <laughs> they able to afford a Blackberry to smuggle. Uh, whatever, that was like, 
the, the, the hardest item to have in yeshiva. And what happened, when was it, like 2007, 2010, when Apple came around, Steve Jobs announced that, um, oh, before then, what was so special about the BlackBerry? It had the keyboard you could type on mm-hmm. horizontally, right? It was a keyboard. The messaging, yeah. too. The messaging, the fact that you were able to hit all the, all the keys in the keyboard and you know, fill them with your, you didn't even have to like, look at the keyboard, you just fill it with your fingers. And when Apple came out with not having a keyboard, um, so I think it's like, they didn't tweet it, but I think Blackberry said like something like, haha, like literally they're like, they were laughing at Apple, even, um, what's the Microsoft guy? Um, Gates. No, the other one. The, Oh, was when, it, when it starts with a W? Wozniak? No, yeah. that's Apple. Oh. That's Apple. Gates. Um... I don't know. Whatever. The, the, he was the CEO of Apple for a lot, for the, of, of Microsoft for a long while. Um, Ballmer, Steve Ballmer. So he was laughing at Apple. Like, what do you mean? It's, it's, it's nuts. Uh, 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 a phone without, without keyboard. But that's exactly where creativity comes around. He was able to have this eye in between. He was able to break through the status quo of what it was, and that gave space for something way better, something much better. At the same time, we don't have to confuse and we have to have the ability to discern between an eye that, that, that gives room for growth and between you know, being not smart and just driving down something into, into its destruction. So when it comes, that's that's when it comes on a on a on when someone chooses to go into wine, that need to be able to discern. But when there's an iron and there's a challenge coming to us, that's automatically a a a, a messaging for us that there's a yesh beyond that, and we need to be creative. We need to find out how to deal with it. Okay, we're going to see text number two. Um, Elizabeth, you want to read? It is not possible that there be a session in the study hall without an innovation. Yeah. Bet Midrash or study hall means yeshiva, where people got together, they learned yeshiva, they applied um, concepts that they learned in Torah. And the Gemara, the Talmud says, it's not possible for a study hall to be without any innovation. Why not? What's so... What's so uh, What's so um, particular about innovation that you know it, it's it's such a must? It has to be there. The reason is because when we learn something, or what the Gemara, at least I'm here, is telling what the Talmud is, is, is stating to us is when you learn something, you have to integrate it and make it your own, in such a way that you are able to relate and to use the the thought or what the Torah is saying, what the Talmud is saying, and to apply it in your daily life. Now, each one of us have different challenges. And if one, each one of us go through different, uh, have different glasses, sort of say, and, and, and the way we look at life, although there is the, the clearest glasses is the way the Torah glasses, but nevertheless, we'll have our experiences, our biases, our education, our upbringing, and we see things differently. And when we learn Torah, we have to have the ability of taking that yesh, taking that, um, the, 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 the knowledge, the way it is, and to be able to apply it in our own ein, in our own struggle, or in our own uh, challenge that we're going through. And once we apply it, so then we have a whole full different understanding of what this is about. I could, I could, I could innovate. I, I, it's not something that I know about as something that I learn and something that has you know, removed from me an article on the internet, but not, not related to me. It's something that I learn. I um, integrate it in myself in such a way that now it's, I have something to say about it. So what the Talmud is saying is that proper learning needs to follow this pattern as well. Proper learning needs to follow the pattern of taking something, taking it, um, um, making it personal and applying it to the challenges, and then what you have is something that is way different. Now we're seeing text number three. How uh, this idea 
of the creativity that the Torah is telling, we see it as well in the psychology. Um, Zach, want to go ahead? On the one hand, one needs to know enough about a field to move for to move it forward. One can't move beyond where a field is if one does not doesn't know where it is. On the other hand, knowledge about a field can result in a closed and entrenched perspective, resulting in a person's not moving beyond the way in which he or she has seen problems in the past. Thus, one needs to decide to use one's past knowledge, but also decide not to let the knowledge knowledge become a hindrance rather than a help. If we're not able to have that ayin, if we're not able to have that 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 um, what's the word to cinema here? Yeah, then it, one needs to have that that perspective of taking the knowledge the way it was, but applying it, not letting it stay as it is, or as we saw before regarding the regarding the Torah, not letting the knowledge just be. We need to apply it, to take it with us, and to prove or to make it personal, so then we have something to collaborate, something to bring upon. And as going back to the text number four, we see it in Kabbalah, and that's basically what we're following till now. We're following this um, rule that the uh, first Rebbe of Chabad talks about. Ben, you want to read? Sure. As a general principle, one entity cannot metamorphose into another before its first form is completely nullified. The process of sowing is an example of this idea. When a seed is planted, it cannot transform into stalks of grain before it roots in the ground. Yeah, this is what I mentioned before. In order for creativity, in order for something new to happen, so this is the pattern that follows. Yesh, ayin, yesh. It's interesting because we're having this lesson now as well in the times of um, the counting of the Omer. We are, we are um, in between Passover and between Passover and, um, Shavuot. and Shavuot. And Passover and Shavuot, they both have a different type of yesh. They both have a different type of, 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 of existence. In Shavuot, or let's start with Passover. Passover was the day when Jewish people left Egypt, and the, there was a certain breakthrough, an innovation. But all of that was a way of status quo. They, they, they were slaves, and they were taken out of Egypt, and they were, they were being filled with um, they, were, they were being overwhelmed with, with godliness. The experience as they left Egypt, godliness uh, through the, through the um, passing of the sea, they experienced godliness. This is that people saw, even the lowest people, even the slaves um, of, of the Jews, saw what prophets weren't able to see. They were able to understand. This is that people were say, able to say, Zekeli. In other words, the word zeh means this, something that you're able to point, something that is in front of you. You're able to identify and acknowledge right away, zekali. And, and when it comes to prophecy, it says, ko amar Hashem. Ko is more of a distant talking. It's not something that is present in front of you, something more distant. So for the fact that they said, through the passing of the, of the, of the sea, they said zeh, so they concluded, the, the sages concluded that the level of, of divine revelation that they had and the level of godliness was such that they were able, they had it in front of them. And their, 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 their status that they had were that they were people who were overwhelmed by God. They were um, experiencing everything in first person. Then it came the period of of, of, of counting of the Omer. Counting of the Omer is every day becoming better, or every day refining a different sefirah, different midah, as we learned about the, all of the traits that we have at, at a soul level, and each one of the days is refining or is tackling a different part of that, um, a, a different aspect of the soul, and that represents the state of Ain. 
where there is this tension, there is this uh, breaking of the status of who it is or the status quo or the way that it was. And, and sitting in this tension, we're sitting in this tension for 49 days until we hit Shavuos again. And then we have a whole different being or a whole different yesh. It's the yesh from the other side of the, of the ayin. And as, as, as in, in, in Passover, there is, um, in Passover, there is a, a, the sacrifice of Passover is made out of, um, korban, not korban, is made out of, of barley, if I'm not mistaken. So it's in Passover, there is a, there's a, a, a barley offering, and then in, in Shavuot, there is a wheat offering. They burnt on the on the mizbech. They burnt on the temple wheat, and what each one of them represents is at the beginning of the stage. The first yesh is a yesh that is um, more animalistic, is more not so much um, refined. So that's why it has a barley. Barley is food that meant for animal. But then at the end of the 49 days, where we go through the cycle of Ayn, where we go through the cycle of really going through and dealing and all this tension and improving ourselves and leaving the status quo, not being content with the way it is. So then we have the other yesh on the other side, which is the yesh of Shavuot. And the offering then is an offering of wheat. And wheat is... Um, is, is, is meant, it's not meant for the, for the animal. Wheat is meant for the human being. So in other words, that the offering and, and the stages that we are in between Shavuot and in between Pesach and Shavuot, they both align with the offerings that they bring. Coming back to our, to our, to our topic, we're talking about um, creativity. We're talking about being successful and how to have that creative, um, creative, not well, the question is if creativity is a bug. I was, I was about to say a creative bug, but is it a bug? Is it a trait? Is it a habit? We're born with it. That's what it's going to be in 78. So question for discussion. Is creativity a special gift, an inborn trait, or an acquired habit? Thoughts? I mean, like all of them in different ways, right? Like for some people, it's an inborn trait. Super creative. But people can, I think, like hone their creativity and learn to think that way. And then for other people, maybe they can't learn it or they weren't born with it, but it's something that they can do spontaneously with like the help of other people that are creative. So also might be domain dependent. What do you mean domain dependent? So you might be really creative in some domains, but not creative in other domains. Okay. What when else? You, when you care about something, you can get creative. Like it gives you the passion to think outside the box about it. I think it's also a muscle that if you don't use, but we all have the muscle. I don't know if we all have the muscle. <laughs> I think people get, people very much like to tell themselves like, oh, I'm not creative. So I think, I don't know. For, for, for a group of people, it's kind of like, maybe just a muscle that they've never tapped into. Let's think it this way. Are kids creative? Yeah. yeah. Very. What's the difference between kids and adults? Have you ever fear. had a fear of the paperclip test? No. No, there's a fear. So they give a test to kids on creativity. <clears throat> I mean, education technology is something we talk about a lot. Is how do you like promote creativity? And they give a, a test where they ask kids, ask people, what can you do with a paperclip? You can bend it, you can mold it, you can do this, you can do that. And so basically they count within a certain time how, how many things you can come up with. They ask kid, young kids, they ask older kids, and the younger kids say, well, what if the paperclip was 100 feet tall? What if the paperclip was made out of bubblegum? What if the paperclip was made out, you know, this, that, the other? So the, the younger kids actually come up with more, and as they go through school, because we crush creativity out of our students, um, they tend to give less, less, less variety in creativity. So our kids are naturally creative? Yeah, they're naturally creative. Do psychologists figure out why kids are create naturally creative? Uh, I don't know if 
we know why they're naturally creative, but. And because you don't know, like limitations of existence when you're a kid, if you don't know like yeah, you don't have the how structures. far can I run, you have no idea how far you can run. You're just like I don't know until I can stop that kind of thing. So you're saying it's uh, it's just an efficiency because you're like you're <laughs> unaware. Un Maybe like the less the less like physical realities you know about existing, the more creative you can be. They don't have the structure, so like we tell kids, you know, it's like this is right, this is wrong, this is right, this is wrong, and that that is like sort of I, mean, I think what it's talking about, right? Earlier is like you have to know enough, but not too much. And yeah, naturally they don't know anything, so they essentially have. So so they their their first yesh. Okay, we're getting into there's a lot of yeah. there's a lot of space for I. Okay, text number five. Um, we'll see what psychology, what psychology has to say about creativity, and then we'll see how what psychology has to say aligns with our Torah. Neta, you want to read? Five. It may sound paradoxical that creativity, a novel response, is a habit a routine response, but creative people are creative largely not by any particular inborn trait because of an attitude toward their work and even toward life. They habitually respond to problems in fresh and novel ways rather than allowing themselves to respond in conventional and sometimes automatic ways. Creative people habitually look for ways to see problems that other people don't look for, take risks that other people are afraid to take, have the courage to defy the crowd and to stand up for their own beliefs, believe in their own ability to be creative, seek to overcome obstacles and challenges to their views that other people give into and are willing to work hard to achieve creative solutions. So in other words, people who are creative, they have the ability to dwell. This is what we're going to see here. Now that's the different point. So wait a second. So text number five... It says what defines what is creativity. It doesn't really give us a reasoning for that. Yeah? Shachaf, agree? Sure. Sure? <laughs> Whatever you say, Rabbi. <laughs> I'm not a psychologist, so, you know. No, it's just, it's just saying, it's kind of underpinning the whole, like, it's a muscle kind of mm -hmm. thing. So it's saying, it sounds paradoxical that, like, creativity, which would be, like, a novel idea, is something that could be, like, repeated. Practice, really. Like, yeah. So it's saying that, like... You're coming up with something new. But... But that process is not new. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It might come from repeated, kind of, um, like, a repeated system of, like, problem-solving or a repeated system of, like, how you get to your creative solution. It's doing it over and over. Flexing the muscle repeatedly, not necessarily doing it over. So, go, so figure 3.4. I think it gives the habit, yeah, it gives the habits of creativity. Let's jump into text 5. This is going to be aligning with, with what we said before about kids. And as well with what we learned last week. So, if Shachaf, continue. Five five. Or six. 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 God created man uh, in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Going back to, we asked before about kids. Are children naive enough? Or they, they don't know, that's why they have, that's why they do, that's why they're more creative. According to Kabbalah and according to um, to the Torah, is not because they are more naive, but the opposite, because they're still more attached or not so much uh, um, um, corrupted by this world. All of the all of the ability or the ability to be creative is the ability to go through the challenge over and over to go through that cycle of the way it is, the way how it should be different, and the solution that it bring to the table. 
that's part of, that, that should be, or that is, as we're going to see in text 7, the reason why we are here in the world. Text 7, um, um, Elizabeth. Text 7 and, and 8 as well. God says to the righteous, you are like me, just as I create a world, so too do you. To receive all the gifts of life from God in the most perfect way is, of course, a great and wonderful thing, but this is a state of greatness of a created entity. God, however, desired that his creation should rise beyond the state of created entity to that of creator. By becoming, as the sages of the Talmud express it, a partner with God in creation, as the Midrash says, God said, just as I create worlds, you too create worlds. Text number seven, when it says that um, the righteous, it's not, the Torah says that all the, all the whole Jewish people are, are, are called righteous. And God is saying, in other words, God created us with a mission. A lot of the things in, 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 in Judaism, they, they get not answered, but they start making sense if we go to the basics. It's about sometimes just going to basics. And knowing the basic of why we're here in this world in the first place, we could see or aligns or make sense all the other components, all the other questions that we had. We're here in this world with a mission. We're here in this world because we have something to give to the world. We have something that the world doesn't have or that the world um, um, should be having. And we are here to fulfill that that the world doesn't have. That may be helping someone else, bringing light into the world, um, having an impact, in, in impact in worldwide, starting with your family, starting with your community. And all of that is part of the, part of the master plan that Hashem puts us in this world. Hashem is saying, in other words, I created a world, but not for me to be only the creator and you to be the creation, but I'm the creator, so you could also be the creator. Same way as I created this world, you could also create the world. Doesn't mean that we're gonna, you know, have another um, uh, world happening, although we did do it with metaverse, but I'm not sure if that's what Torah is saying here. Um, but there is elements of creation, or there is elements that is missing, something that is not, the world doesn't have. It's in other words, it's creativity. It's creativity brought into the world. As we see in text number eight, is that it's great to be a creation, but it's greater to be a creator, and we all have that ability of being a creator. That ability is so it's so um, ingrained in us that it's part of who we are. It's part of our DNA. It's part of the, our makeup. God created us with those same abilities. As we saw in text number six, that we are created in God's image. That means that we have, you know, as we spoke with the image and the and and sefilot and the midot and all the structure that we spoke uh, last month, a few months ago, but as well, all of those sefilot and midot have the ability, they are, as we said, they are powers. They have powers to impact the world. Now kids, they still feel it. It might not be in a conscious way. It's more in a subconscious way. But kids are not corrupted. Kids have that, they're closer to, um, to those feeling of being a creator. That once we grow up, once we grow up, we are, for, for a lot of reasons, we accept the status quo the way it is. And now I'm supposed to fit in this, in this, in this box, whatever the box it is. It might be a really big box, but it's still a box. We, we condition ourselves to that. Kids don't condition themselves to that because as opposed to thinking that kids are naive, it's not because they're naive. It's not a disadvantage that they have. It's actually an advantage. Is the fact that they're not corrupted, that they're still able to be closer to who they are, and that's why they're able to be creative. That's why they're able to come with all of these ideas, because they have this DNA of being a creator that is untampered. It's, it's still fresh in them. Once we become older, so then we start doubting ourselves. But that's our own trauma. So coming, coming back to the creativity, yes, creativity is the ability to have a yesh, a ayin, and a yesh. Creativity is the ability to break the status quo, introduce some chaos, 
introduce some uncertainty, but then bring, um, bring a new reality, bring a new solution, bring something that's better than it was before. And in that sense, we are all creatives. We're all able, we have the ability to be creative. It doesn't mean that you know, the next reel that we're gonna do, it'll be super funny, maybe, I don't know. But in more of a spiritual way, the, the creativity at a more, tackling more on a, at a soul level, is the ability to not conform with the status quo, not conform with the way the world is, not conform with what's happening in the world or what's happening in our country, and to accept that we're able to introduce the chaos in order to, um, to bring uh, a better solution. Now, of course, the chaos doesn't mean that it's destruction. It just means that it's, it's not the way it is. There's a certain friction happening that might be um, putting on more tefillin, doing something extra that wasn't done before. That's introducing chaos for a new reality too. <coughs> and text number nine, we're going to see from, from the Torah. I mean, not, not text number 9, but text number 10 and 11. Text number 9 um, is going to bring out the same idea in more of, of Gary Wexler um, and in his own words. It's funny, his, his title of the book. <laughs> Sorry, Millennials, We're Not Dead, The Boomer Rebellion. Let's see what it's about. Okay, text number nine. Um, Elizabeth? Sure. Can I ask a question before we yeah. move on? So um, so kids are, like, not corrupted. Um, I don't know if this is, like, the official stance, but I learned when I was a kid that, like, when you're in the womb, you learn the whole Torah, and then you forget it upon being born, and then you have to start relearning it as a human once you're yeah. born. Um, is that because, like, kids are closer closer to the essence of the Torah that they learned when they were born not too long ago, as opposed to adults who have had more space from knowing the whole Torah? What, what's the question, sorry? Like, is that, um, like, purity? Or, like, is it because they're so close to when they were in the womb and had learned the whole Torah? Like, that kids are, and we just get older and farther from knowing all of it, and that's part of it? Or is it the outside world also that corrupts us from creativity? It's, it's both. It's a great question. And there is a whole talk about, there's a whole question about birthday. Like, why we celebrate birthdays? We shouldn't be celebrating birthdays. We were safer, more spiritual. Um, we had no needs. And we were way better in the womb than being born. So why are we celebrating that we were born? You surrounded the sun again. What do you mean? Well, what? You surrounded the sun again. What do you mean? You had a you full circle the around like the, the sun. sun. Another year. That's what the, that is saying. Oh, but so why is the celebration? I mean, it's reminding yeah, another, you, another it's reminding you of that day. Reminding you of that day when you lose, you lost all your comfort. But you gain so much. <laughs> what do you gain? I mean, like, life. You gain. What's health. life? You gain a family. You gain the ability mm -hmm. to do. They gain a family. Right, yeah, I guess that's true. You didn't exist before, so that makes sense. But you can do mitzvot, you can do, you can come up with new ideas. What are the other things I learned? Oh, the different levels of pleasure and significance you can bring to yourself and others. Those are all important things. So you gain the ability to be creative. Yeah. Ultimately. So although you were comfortable, you were better off at the womb, but you were useless at the womb. Totally useless. Yeah, and you even ask your mother. Yeah, all you do is kick around and get made yeah. Yeah, it's not fun for her. And, um, but nevertheless, when we're born, it's because we have something to contribute. It's because it was something that we weren't able to do before. So we have this, um, we have advantages and disadvantages. You know, being in the womb has the advantage of, as you mentioned, you, know, you learn all the Torah, you're closer in spirituality, Let's open another tab over here. Do we ever discuss about um, about uh, the the creatures of the water and the creatures of the earth? Yeah. Yeah. They're concealed and they revealed. Concealed and revealed. So the we said we, we, we spoke about the, the fact that according to Kabbalah, the water represents concealment. Um, oh, that's when we spoke about the mikvah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's now no wonder that a baby is surrounded by 
amniotic what's the word amniotic, amniotic fluid. fluid yes jinx that <laughs> that is it's not just because biology works that way their biology is a result of a of a spiritual habit you know the fact that they learn the torah the fact that they're surrounded by liquid the same way as as as, as creatures in the water are surrounded by liquid all of that aligns in the same way but nevertheless it's not about staying or or or, or now that we just finished passover we just finished celebrating about Jews going through the through the sea going through the sea was a major spiritual experience but it was not about being in the sea it was about leaving the sea and specifically going to Mount Sinai and and there where we become we we're born and where people who were able to contribute because as much as the Jewish people leaving Egypt um, was a great miracle they were a family they were not a nation we only became nation on more in the macro context, we became a nation who was able to introduce the Torah thought into the world. He was able to introduce light to the world. That only happened after, after Matan Torah. That only happened after Shavuot. In other words, that only happened after the, the birth or the wedding or, or the ability that we have to contribute to the world and the impact in the world to be way greater than it was before. So are we closer to God I don't know if that's the right, that's, that, that's the right um, question, if we're closer to God um, in the womb. Are we more spiritual in the womb? Yes. But are we closer to God? Not necessarily. Do we have a spirit in the womb? What? Do we have a spirit in the womb, separate from our mother? Um, so... What, like after 40 days? So that is, that is there's a lot of context. There's not like a... a, a there, there is spirit for sure. Now, then the question is, if I don't want to get into abortion here, because that's a whole other topic. It's, it's legal. In other words, it's halacha. But more on the, on the, on the um, spiritual sense, yeah. As soon as the conception happens, as soon as, as they conceive, there is, there is a, there's, a new, there's a new spirit. Yeah. It's not really called in Shema yet. Um, but a, as general rule, yes. And the general rule also is that there's no reason to abort unless it's a threat for the mother. Nowadays, um, uh, psychological threats are something that are also considered threats as opposed to, I don't know, 100 years ago, they had no idea about psychology. So psychology was not even in the picture. Nowadays, it is. Um, but that's, that's you know, something that needs to be discussed with the rabbis. That's very general rule, and I'm not getting into the abortion um, argument but yes kids have um kids um, um in the womb there is there is a spirit and 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 we're more spiritual in the womb but we're closer to god outside of the womb once we're able to be creators same as god okay um text number 10 we see that god follows the same pattern even when he created the world we create the world in a way of being we are creatives in this world because we have God's image, and we also follow the way that God created this world. And that's what we replicate over and over until this world has complete um, perfection. Okay, text number 10. Um, ben, you want to read? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was chaos and emptiness. The darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered above the upon the waters. And God said, there shall be light. And there was light. We have the same process. We have the yesh, the ayin, and they have the yesh. Of the yesh is the first line. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that was the status quo. But in order for, 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 for something to happen in the world, in order for it to be something new, so then the earth was chaos and emptiness. That is God breaking the creation or the original creation that he created in order to have something even better as we see the third last line and god said there shall be light so light only came after there was a creation after there was chaos light came in the third day after the chaos um, following the pattern of yesh i am and yesh and this is a pattern that happens all the time with us if we're able to like focus on, on specifically when we have challenges but 
and, and as we grow and, and year over year or, or new opportunities come about, if we're able to, to see this pattern of yesh, ayin, yesh, so then a lot of things start falling in place and start making sense. And uh, in my opinion, this is, do you guys know what lean startup is? Or yeah. lean um, process? Mm-hmm. So lean process is instead of creating, instead of creating um, a product and then seeing if someone wants it, so you, you create the most basic product. A minimum viable product. MVP, a minimum viable product. And then you see if someone's gonna buy it. You know, instead of going on full fridge creating a glass um, shaped cup, um, you create a plastic cup and you put it in the market. If a few people are using a cup, oh, okay, then we could continue on, on, on making something better. So in other words, there is also yesh and yesh. There is this creating something, there's this chaos in between, trying it, testing it, and then there's a the validation that comes after it. Okay, this is something people are using, but then that's not enough. Then it goes again, yesh and yesh, yesh and yesh. And that pattern follows all the time, as we see in text number 11, and this is why I think that God was the one who came up with the Lean Startup. Um, uh, Sam, you want to read? Sure. God was creating worlds and destroying them, creating more worlds and destroying them too, until he created these creations. He said, these are pleasing to me, those were not pleasing to me. Yeah, this process of iteration and the process of chaos it's not, it's not a one thing. It's not a, a, a one, something that I go through life one time. It's over and over. And if we have this ability, if we have the ability to tap into this um, yesh ayin yesh, and knowing that the chaos ultimately brings to an ayin, and that when we see a yesh, we know that we could, we could bring something more. We could disrupt the way it is and bring something yesh. So then it would be our creative... Um, scale and our contribution is way greater to the world so specifically now that we are approaching Shavuos the the time of the giving of the Torah it says that every year we renew it's not renew commitment but we re-experience in a deeper level the same um, experience that the Jewish people had in Mount Sinai so Although we might not have a, on, a, on, a, on our, our senses may not be feeling the same way, but in the world there is a deeper dimension that gets introduced, and there is, there is new um, Torah, not only Torah thoughts, but there is new Torah energies that were never introduced into the world until every Shavuos, every Shavuos comes around, every year comes around, there's new energies introduced into the world. And that's not only in Shavuos, that's every year. Rosh Hashanah comes around, there's new energies in the world. When it comes to Shavuos, specifically regarding Torah. When it comes to Passover, specifically regarding freedom. And we need to have the ability to tap into those energies, to be dis- disruptive, to, to not be conformed with the status quo and you know, the way the world is or the way the world is working. But we need to tap into, into that energy, into the... Into the, into the the holiday and and making something tangible. So the Chaim Lechaim, we should we should have the ability to to really go from from Yesh to Ein to Yesh. Um, yeah, Chaim. We are going to start. Um, I want we got, I want feedback regarding what we're next next month. We're going to get our marketing up a little bit more. One on one reach, and um, yeah, if you have any specific topics, we'll love to hear. Uh, I think truth is there like one real truth in Judaism? We often see like in the Talmud, there are like 15 different opinions on one simple thought. <laughs> so, how do we actually know the, the one thing to follow to do? What is the ultimate truth? It's a great question, because even the Talmud says that regarding um, Shammai and Hillel, they were two great sages, and they were they were totally um, arguing all the time. Typical Talmud is Shammai and Hillel, they're arguing, sorry, in the Mishnah, before the Talmud. 
And then later on in the Talmud is, is the, the, the thought, th- school thought of Shammai argued against the school thought of Hillel. So, and at the same time, the Talmud says that they're both have a divine word. You know, it's not that one is making it up and one is truth, but they're both truth. So the question is, and the Rebbe, there's a very fascinating talk about how the Rebbe reconciles all of this truth. Um, I haven't learned it in a while, but what basically boils down is that it, it, the Rebbe even asks an even deeper question, because Shammai and Hillel, they're both students from one, from one master. It's not that one came from, you know, one side of the country and the other one came from the other side of the country and, and, and then they met and they were arguing all the time. That would make sense. It doesn't make any sense because Shammai and Hillel, they both kiblum shmayavav talian. Shmayavav talian were two uh, leaders, sages on, on, on their time. And, and they were their students. And they were, got totally um, arguing all the time. Um, there's more questions, but the, the, the punchline is that Shammai and Hillel, they were like, one was chesed and one was gvura. Shammai was gvura. Shammai had his character trait, was a character trait of, 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 of restriction, of stringency, and Hillel was more of a chesed, was more of a kind character trait. Um, so they were able, one idea, ideas necessarily are defined. In other, what I mean is that when there was the, the, when the, when the, when the flood happened, God said at the beginning, humankind are corrupted so I have to bring the flood. And the, with the story, story with Noah, and the flood happened, and after the, once the flood finished, it says that Hashem said, human beings are corrupted, so therefore, I'm going to swear that I'm never going to bring a, a flood again, because it's not like their fault, it's like it's part of the human being, it's part of the nature of a human being to be corrupted. So the same logic that before the conclusion was to bring a, 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 flood. a flood, the conclusion was a, a different one later on. So the idea itself does not really define the conclusion of the idea. And that is the... the, the, the propositions. The propositions correct. of the argument don't make one conclusion. One conclusion, yeah. So what they learned... Um, essentially was all the prepositions that's what they got from the masters they got like the 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 underlying um, general principles according to Torah now the question <coughs> is how do you apply those principles how do you apply because they didn't want into each spe- the, 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 the way it, it works it's not that the rabbi went through each specific case and said in this case is going to be like this in this case is going to be like that it was more of a, of a, a life approach the principles were, were laid out now, they had to take those principles and, and, and get to their own conclusions. So Shammai, he was, his nature was to be stringency, so he got to the conclusions of, you know, X, Y, Z. Hillel, he was more lenient. He was more uh, on, the, on the kind side, more of a chesed. So his conclusions were different. Now, according to the Torah, um, chesed usually overcomes gvura. So we ended up doing like Hillel, because the truth is, is what the Torah says. And although in this specific cases, they all argue, and they all have truth, because Torah also um, agrees with, with Shammai. Torah agrees with Gevura. It's not that totally discards. But to apply that, that proposition, um, that makes sense, to apply a proposition, but to apply the proposition in that manner, that was not what the Torah meant for society at large. So Shammai, although he, I think he behaved in, in, in the way that he said, but nevertheless, for, for the whole Jewish nation, that was not the, the truth. So this is just what I'm, what I'm remembering. I need to go over again the talk. It's fascinating because it brings different, different halachot regarding like even lighting the menorah. We do all now like Hillel. That, what is like Hillel? That we light... Um, we we, we go, we increase. But Shammai says, no. Each night of Hanukkah, the first night you... you right or left. 
No, not, not right or left. The first night you light eight. And then the second night you light seven. Because you're left with seven days. And you're left with eight days. So, in other words, one sees the potential. Hillel sees the potential. And Shammai sees the, like, the actual. Those two um, conclusions comes from having a kind mindset. Or having a stringent mindset or a, a, a rich mentality, or that could be also translated into a rich mentality, or a poor mentality. Poor mentality is what I have. I have eight nights left over, I had light eight candles. Hillel was more, what's the potential? Potential now is... is um, to increase. What was, what was the wording? I might be messing it up. I don't want to continue with this, because I'm not sure if I have it right. But in other words, the Rebbe aligned how all of the arguments they align with with their personalities at their core it's uh it's much more of a longer um um, discussion but we could we should definitely learn it i think we should learn like instead of learning diluted um i wouldn't call this diluted torah but um we should maybe like learn from the source i think we're up for that already this is good. This is well packaged. All these courses are really nice packaged and, and, um, and really, really well presented. But I think we are at a level that we can go from the source itself and, 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 and have it organically. You graduated? Yeah, I graduated. I mean, you were, I think we are graduating the first day. It just took me time to up your level. But yeah. I mean, with the Shachaf, we did it a few weeks ago.